Welcome to Absolute Destiny, a podcast. I'm Autumn. I'm Chesney. And I'm not crying, you're crying. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Here we are at the end, um, episode 39, Someday Together We'll Shine. Yeah, so that's it. What do you think? I have been sitting here, racking my brain, trying to think when in God's name I predicted this ending. (laughs) When the hell was that? (laughs) So about like 10 or 12 episodes back, you had called it that the show ends with Auntie leaving the school. Oh, shit. Okay. Now I remember that. (laughs) And... You have also at various points predicted Utana dying, mm-hmm. um, which she didn't, but kind of did, but didn't, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, like, toward the end here, it probably was not difficult to predict tragedy striking, because what about this show says happy <laughs> ending? <laughs> I was about um, to say... Yeah, there is happiness to be found in this ending while also acknowledging that like it's an ending in in a true sense, like relationships end, the two of them leave like they didn't win in the way that you would expect of a like fairy tale story to end. Like Akio wasn't killed. He wasn't arrested. He wasn't you know, carted off uh, to jail, they win by leaving, which is the the true victory of anyone who has ever been in an abusive relationship. You win by getting out. Yeah. You win by having a life away from that person. And so there's a bittersweetness to that, right? Like, especially like as Americans, we we want our heroes to to win unequivocally right like okay the american ending to this show would have been utana triumphantly like defeating akio but she doesn't actually kill him she like goes to swing and misses and he like trips and falls off of the dueling platform (laughs) and falls to his death so that way she's still righteous like a righteous hero And she's like, she's triumphantly holding Anthe in her arms as the Anthe swooning at her print. Like that would have been the American ending to this show. I was going to say the way that I see it ending is when all the swords gather and start coming toward Utana, they would instead start coming toward Akio and he'd freak out. And then we would never actually see him die, but then like he wouldn't be there in the epilogue scenes. And then Utana and Anthe would go off together. You know, Um, that would be the shitty American ending. (laughs) (laughs) That's like the less patriotic American ending. (laughs) That would be the MCU ending. (laughs) Utana's like also caped in a... um, in an American flag somehow, <laughs> even though this doesn't take place anywhere near America. <laughs> yeah, the bells are playing, but it's just like one of our national anthem songs. Because <laughs> we have like six, let's be honest. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyhow, 
the show ends up having way more power and way more impact in terms of its metaphors for misogyny by not pulling its punches there at the end. Right? Like, the swords that can't kill, that that can't even touch Akio pierce through Anthe and then as soon as Utena stands up for, in this case, another woman, they come for her. Right? Like, there is no mm-hmm. ambiguity to that symbolism. <laughs> yeah. The assignment was draw me sexism. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there it is. That is what sexism looks like. That is what sexism feels like. That is the impressionist take on misogyny in the world today. Like, yeah, the same swords that cannot touch a man will come for any woman who stands up. He even says at one point, the power is mine to decide what to do with, you know? (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Really on the nose. Also, so telling. I mean, we've seen the signs and the red flags this whole way with Akio, but so telling that it's Utena's tears for Anthe and her feelings genuinely trying to reach her that actually end up opening that door. Something that Akio could scrape the very bottom of the pit of his soul, and he would not be able to muster up that kind of genuine care and connection for someone else other than himself. Absolutely. Without a doubt. (sighs) Man, this episode. (laughs) (laughs) They don't even give you an intro to get ready for this. No, it's just smack into it. Right back into it with the stabbing of Utena. But like, you see more detail. You see more of the transition of emotions on Anthe's face oh, yeah. this time. We also get like this laughing merry-go-round. Oh, God. In the so background. unsettling. <laughs> <laughs> and Anthe says to Utena, you can never be my prince because you're a girl. And like, there we go right off the bat with that combination of heterosexism and homophobia. Mm -hmm. Like there is only one way to be. And that is straight. There is only one way to be. And that is feminine. You ain't it chief. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and so Anthe picks up the sword and leaves Utena to stew in her emotions and blood. <laughs> yeah, she throws the sword that she used to stab Utena away. And she also just picks up Utena's and gives it to Akio. Well, she doesn't right away. Mm. She picks up the sword and the scene cuts to the student council and they're grilling out on their platform. It is (laughs) like, it's nighttime. This duel has gone so deep into the night that they're all having a midnight snack. And it is the most somber grill out you've ever seen. (laughs) Oh yeah. Because like they all know what's happening, Mm -hmm. but not being able to see it, it. It has the feeling of, waiting in a waiting room while someone you love is in surgery yeah like 
You are completely powerless over what happens next, and all you can do is wait to be told what the outcome is. You don't even get to see it happen. Not that, like, most people would ever want to see surgery anyway, but, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you, you can't yeah. watch. You, you just, you don't know what the progress is. You just sit there waiting. And so Toga counsels them all to not take their rings off yet. And Nanami's like, I already took mine off, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out of this. I, I do not have a horse in this race anymore. Which I think is to her credit in terms of like character growth. That she was, we saw it like several episodes back at this point. She's the first one to say, this entire game is rigged and I'm not going to play anymore. Yeah. And of course it's a woman who recognizes that, right? Young as she is, the system is never going to work for her the way it works for the men. Yeah. And she just nopes out of it. Yeah, I wondered if there was any other kind of symbolism or meaning behind not taking the ring off yet, like Toga telling them all to wait. The only thing I can think of is like, if you take it off, you start to forget. But I feel like that's such a stretch because we, I mean, we just don't know anything <laughs> at that point. <laughs> so then... Jury starts to tell this story and she tells this story about how a boy drowned trying to save her sister. This story haunts me. Like I can't, I, like I'm a little bit with Nanami on this one. I can't quite place why it's here. Aside from just like the way that it comes up as like, here we are at the, this precarious moment, this life and death situation, and Jury is reflecting on another life and death situation that she's encountered. Like the, the acknowledgement that like there is a transition in progress right now. There is an ending that is coming just like death. But beyond that, like I have a lot more to say about this once we have seen the movie together. Mm. But taking the show just by itself on its own merits... I don't have any like great insight about like why it's here. So I'm wondering what you think. So uh, what I pulled away from that. And again, it's, it didn't. Now I do think that the not taking off the rings symbolism does have to do with forgetting because the story is the same. And I didn't realize it too, but um, when they were talking about taking the rings off and Toga says, we must remain as duelists. Nanami, I wrote, Nanami wants to forget. She said, I want to forget all this and move on with my life already. And the story, the whole point of the story is that, uh, yes, the boy jumped in to save, uh, jumped into the river to save Jury's sister from drowning. And an adult jumped in and helped the sister, but the boy ended up drowning anyway. And the main point of this story is that she cannot remember this boy's name. And it's the foreshadowing of whoever saves the damsel in distress ends up getting forgotten. And we see it at the end where the class is already or where the school is already starting to kind of forget Utena. They don't know why she left the school 
And some people are already starting to forget that she even went there in the first place. See, this is why we do this together. I rely (laughs) on you for these like galaxy brain takes like that. (laughs) Listen, I think if I hadn't been listening to the Magnus archives before this and putting together (laughs) galaxy brain moments because of that show, uh, I don't know that I would have gotten that. Maybe. It's a shot in the dark. (laughs) That's how my brain works. That's how I can somehow predict the ending of this show and then completely forget it. It is my Achilles heel. (laughs) Chesney, like Charlie from uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia with like the pin board. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) But yeah, that's exactly it. And that's, that's why it haunts me so much is because that's horrifying. Meanwhile, I'm over here just like, okay, so which character is Pepe Silvia now? <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to give you a hint. It's Toga, but that won't make sense until you see the movie. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh my god, what the fuck is this movie going to be? <laughs> I'm already getting like way ahead of us because like I, I've teased this on the show already. We're bringing Carly back and we're going to watch the movie this weekend. Um, and so like, I'm already like eight steps ahead in terms of like thinking about that when we have this big conclusion that we have to talk about yet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyhow. But yeah, any- Nanami, <laughs> Nanami asking urgently and like, it's beyond just being urgent she's like starting to really be distressed when she's asking jury why did you tell us that story over and over again because kind of like you just were autumn it's like what is the importance of that like i'm missing something what's gonna happen here and it's like all the other student council members know that if she succeeds they will forget her or Alternatively, they look away because they know that if they were in Utena's shoes, they'd be forgotten. Yeah, that too. Oh, man. That's, again, that's why it's haunting to me. Holy shit. You save the world and your entire existence is slowly washed away. But also, that's a normal thing. For high school, right? Like, you graduate, and within a couple years, no one knows who the fuck you were there. Doesn't matter how popular or unpopular, doesn't matter how big of a name you had or how infamous you were. Within four years, you are nobody. Even though, like, at the time, you feel like the most important person in the world because your hormones are at the highest they will ever be. You are feeling a lot of things for the very first time. Everything feels like the most important thing in the world. And you're at the center of that world. And then four years later, you will be forgotten. And that is like the first taste a lot of people have with being forgotten. No matter how important that time was for you personally, that your story isn't any more important than anyone else's. Like that's the first time a lot of folks like really come to grips with that is recognizing that nobody from high school will remember them except for the people they graduated with. Cursed interpretation, Utena peaked in high school. 
Oof. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> what if like that was just the takeaway from the ending of the show? <laughs> oh my god. No, but <laughs> which one of them is most likely to grow up and become a cop? <laughs> oh, oh, no. Absolutely not. I mean, probably Sionji. But yeah. <laughs> uh, Ikuhara has said that in the world of Sarazan Mai, which is his one of his later shows, um, Akio would be the chief of police. <laughs> Ew. All right. Anyhow, um, we cut back to the dueling arena and the merry-go-round is still going and Akio demands the sword. Anthe doesn't give it to him right away. She hesitates and he calls her out on it and says, why are you hesitating? And just like he did with Utena, he starts running down the list of tactics. <laughs> yeah. Although incredibly the first one he goes to is to take the blame for what is going on he says i suppose you caused your friend pain it's my fault maybe if i pretended to still be the prince you know like this wouldn't be where we're at um but of course he says this but it's that like faux vulnerability where he's not saying it because he actually means this. He's never going to go back to being the prince. He's not going to continue to pretend to do that. He has no intention of changing his behavior. It is an right. absolutely meaningless apology. Yeah, it's like when a shitty person is just like, yeah, I'm a shitty person, blah, blah, blah. Like, they just come out with it up front and you're like, oh, maybe they'll... I don't know. Maybe that's some self-awareness and self-actualization that'll lead to something. It never does. Take them on their word. Walk away. <laughs> <laughs> he says this other line about your pain and suffering. I feel them always. You lying dirtbag. <laughs> so he demands the sword again. And Anthe gives it to him. And the background shifts. It's no longer the merry-go-round. Now it's, it's not like stained glass. It's more... Um, like translucent paper is, is like the best way I can describe it. Like it looks like a paper lantern of a rose. Um, and he takes it, does this like flip onto the platform where the rose gate is and narrates for the slowly dying Utena what is happening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he says that this is the gate which seals the power to revolutionize the world. Uh, and you start to hear this sound and he says, here they come. And it's the million swords of humanity's hatred all flying up. It sounds um, like groaning. Yeah, that too. Yeah. We definitely get groaning voices. Um, it's not translated in the copy that we're watching. So I don't know what they are groaning, but it does sound like words. I can't pick out what word. Um, no clue. Yeah. And Anthe sort of apologizes to Utena and says that you let me have a taste of true friendship. It's like the fix was in from the start. 
sorry you got your feelings broken, but the, it was always going to be this way. But for what it's worth, you were cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, like that's kind of the vibe <laughs> of the U- worst of, of Anthony's goodbye. <laughs> The worst attempt at a breakup I have ever seen. <laughs> so fucking horrible. I was always just using you, but for what it's worth, you were good in bed. <laughs> take, take care, lose this number. <laughs> oh my god. The dress falls without Anthe in it, and the song Missing Link starts, which is just another magical song for the ending here. Um, and we see the swords flying up and mentioned this earlier. They deflect harmlessly off of Akio. They cannot pierce him. Instead, they fly up, circle around and stab Anthe. And, and this is just like the, the visual metaphor of misogyny, right? Like there are things, there are weapons that people can use. There is power that people can wield. That is only effective against women because society on a very fundamental level does not respect women. No matter how much people say they do, no matter how much people believe that they do, there are things you can say and do to hurt and disempower women that simply do not work if you try and do the same thing to a man. Yeah. I mean... Another lens that you can look at this scene through is through the one of abuse and power that we've seen throughout this whole episode, throughout this whole show. Um, The abuser has no consequences. The abused is the one that takes all of the hits over and over and over again. Yeah, because no matter what they do to each other, abuse is about a power dynamic, not necessarily individual actions. Right. One person is always more free to stop the cycle than the other. You know, if if you could zoom out to the scale of like, say, the war in Ukraine, Russia can always just leave. Yeah. The fact that Ukrainian soldiers are killing Russian soldiers, if they like, if you say that both sides are free to stop, well, if Ukraine stops trying to do that, they just lose all their territory and they lose their right to self-govern, right? Yeah. Like it's the same thing with an abusive relationship. Yes, you will see counter punches. You will see fighting back, whether that is physical, verbal, emotional, whatever. But one person could just stop it and the other person is just holding their own. Mm-hmm. And, and you have to pay attention to what the power dynamic in the relationship is more than the individual actions. Which is why Akio's next words of that's the destiny of the Rose Bride, this is what Anthe has chosen for herself, are such a mockery and go against exactly what Anthe just said of, hey, sorry, this was rigged from the first place. And also, it shows the way that, like, as the abuser... He can't even conceive of the impact of his actions. The idea that like he is so delusional that he can think that she is choosing this freely is it, it speaks to how insulated he is from the consequences because 
he is not the one who is bearing the true weight of what this relationship is. He doesn't have to know unless he chooses to know. And clearly he's not choosing to find out. Oh yeah, no. No interest in that whatsoever. Like that's the <laughs> like that's the power of privilege, right? Like the mm-hmm. privilege comes in not having to know the consequences of your actions, the consequences of power. If you don't have privilege, you are intimately aware of what power you do not have. And if you ever forget, someone will be along to remind you. Yeah. Whereas for someone in a position of privilege, they can be blissfully unaware of it all. They have to be taught. They have to want to learn about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, Utana, even after being stabbed, still can't help but still want to try and help Anthe and even calls out to Akio to do so. And it falls on deaf ears because... Like you just said, he's not in a place where he wants to do that. What does he gain from that? Absolutely nothing. He doesn't think she needs help. Yeah. <laughs> in his that- worldview, this is what she wants. So she doesn't need to be saved from something she wants. Exactly. And so here he is using the sword of Dios, a sword drawn from Utena, her heart's sword her nobility, he is trying to use it to break open the seal on the Rose Gate, which he says is a gateway to a new world. He can't do it because he can't conceive of a world that is different than this one. Yeah. He doesn't understand the world that he's in well enough to even think of what could be different. He can't think of a world without sexism Because his entire world is defined by his privilege. And he completely benefits from it. Like he's, he does all this talk about like wanting to revolutionize the world and change things. But at the end of the day, it's like, do you? He's free to not be the prince and still retain all his power. Yeah. (laughs) Like there's nothing a new world can even offer him. Right. Not without him fundamentally changing his worldview. And he is incapable of seeing anything be different. I mean, like, throughout the these last couple of episodes, he said over and over that he is no longer the prince. That he doesn't think that he could return to being something like that. Like, that, that's, that version of him is dead. It's not coming back. So... What is he fighting so hard for? I put that in quotes, by the way, so hard, because he's really not fighting that hard at all. He's exploiting people, um, exploiting children to try and do that work for him. Um, What is he pushing towards? What does he even think he's pushing towards? You know, for all of the time that he's made fun of, again, the children that he's... (laughs) put in his employ for having small dreams and not being able to picture the revolution and things like this awful big talk for somebody who can't get there themselves either. Like for all that he talked to Utana about like, you can't even picture 
what this is like and you know talking to her about oh you were just doing play dueling this is real dueling akio's been playing at all this shit himself <laughs> for god knows how long like he's still just as much stuck in a child's world as they are except he's the one that that's stomping around in it as an adult and inflicting real harm onto these actual kids. So I, I really would like to know what revolution he was envisioning or he thought he was envisioning. Uh, and that's why I want to welcome to the show, Akio, <laughs> to sit down with us and talk about what the fuck was going on in his head. No. So... Then Utna is having this conversation with this image of the prince. And if we can take Choo Choo as being the manifestation of Anthe's emotional state, I think we can go ahead and say that the prince might be Akio's. Just like the, this aspect of him that is given form because of a need for it to exist. And so... Okay. Um, He's talking to Utana and trying to console her. And you can see as much as he idealizes this version of himself, the seeds of who he is now were always there. Yeah. Like even this prince is like, well, it's too much for you. You're a girl. Sure. You can go past the gate and gain the power to revolutionize the world. But what would you even do with it? <laughs> probably something dumb and girly right <laughs> yeah and like you can see that there is that misogyny inherent in seeing himself as a prince who saves girls that like these girls are fundamentally incapable of doing what they need to do to live rich fulfilling healthy lives without him and so he says he starts to say how that power is used and then brilliantly in Akio's voice finishes the sentence he says is my decision mm -hmm. and if you're a kid watching this at say 14 years old when this show was airing you don't need a college textbook to explain what sexism is what misogyny is here is a kid's show that just lays it out for you. You can't do this because you're a girl. And how this power is used is my decision. Mm -hmm. So what does Utana do? She pushes herself to her feet. <laughs> yep, I was about to say, and Utana still says, fuck that. She doesn't even just get herself to her feet. She punches the ground. And yeah. in that shot, it looks like she just totally shatters her rose crest ring. Which the prince personification of... Akio's emotions was just like, oh, you know, you've treasured that ring. I'll give it a kiss for you. That's the only comfort I can offer. And she just goes, fuck that and smashes it to the ground. <laughs> so then we come back from the commercial break and here's Akio still like trying to cut his way through the roses that are encircling the gate and he just shatters the sword on the door and he throws it away. And he's just like, well, her heart wasn't strong enough either. Too bad. 
I really had hopes for this one, but fuck it. We'll just do it again. Wild. And it genuinely catches him off guard when he turns and sees Utena walking down or like staggering down the um that like platform hallway that doesn't have walls. <laughs> yeah. Um and he tries to tell her, hey, um the sword is shattered. There's no point anymore. And she stumbles. He tries to help her. He rushes to help her up. And she pushes him by his face. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Like, there is no bigger fuck you than that. Like, just like, dude, <laughs> go away. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this moment is hilarious. But it's also really funny in the context of if you think about where Utena was just a couple episodes ago and how torn she was about like her feelings for Akio and also for Anthe and things have been made starkly abundantly clear for her now. I just I was thinking about that as you know the credits were rolling on this episode of like that's how that relationship was wrapped up for Utena. She saw yeah. very clearly how much a person that um she thought that she loved at one point was hurting someone that she does love and that resolved that for her. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she was even at the beginning of this duel, she was a little conflicted, right? And then everything became abundantly clear to her when Akio was still trying to make her conform to something that didn't quite settle and was still saying, this person you care about is just going to be tortured for eternity. And that he was totally cool with that. Yep. It's just a nice, neat little ending. Like, bow on the present of the ending of this show of that also cleanly wraps up yeah and then we get this like cut away to wakaba who is looking up at the chairman's tower and she's not a duelist she's not in the student council meeting she doesn't know what's going on she just knows that something is going on and she can't be there to support her friend yeah, this this one hurt, knowing that all of this really intense shit is going down and Wakaba's on the outside of it all. Somebody that deeply cares for Utena, and Utena also cares for her. And <laughs> it's funny because as a viewer, you also get so wrapped up in this dueling game that Wakaba kind of falls to the side and the show does not gently remind you that hey there are people outside of this and my heart just sank when i saw this shot because i was like yeah this has real consequences <laughs> i mean we could have had a dragon ball z power of friendship spirit bomb ending of the show <laughs> man i would have loved it <laughs> so much if Wakaba had just gone charging in there and just beat his ass. 
That would have been so good. <laughs> She's like, don't worry, Utena, you got this. I'll distract him. <laughs> so we cut back to Utena, and she is lifting herself up by grabbing onto the stems of these roses to pull herself back to her feet at the gate. Like, just imagine that for a second, grabbing these roses by the stems to pull yourself up. Like, what that does to your hands. That is how determined she is in this moment to get through this door, to get through to Anthe. So what Akio was trying to do with a sword, she is going to do with her bare hands as she is pulling at the roses, pulling at the door. And what does Akio do? He is chilling with the prince, drinking a like fruity, what looks like, I'm guessing like shochu or something, because there's like, there's a slice of yuzu uh, fruit in that. And maybe pineapple or something. Yeah. Yuzu is great, by the way. I Oh, I yeah. Hate. Fucking um, love it. <laughs> so. <laughs> Us. Akio is a trash person, but his tastes in drinks. Uh, come on. <laughs> Not going to lie. I had a drink that looked almost exactly like that when I was out for my friend's birthday this past weekend. Incredible. Um, complete with the slice of yuzu. <laughs> Uh, we went to a Japanese restaurant because um, we have like a, a couple of really fancy ones here that are owned by the same people. Oh yeah, so <laughs> Akio's drinking his little um, <laughs> fruity little drink, and Dios has one too. They're both laying on the ground, just watching her as she's like bleeding out and still trying to do this, and is like oh you're just like my past self um but you know like you can't do anything like that because then you'll just live life dependent on another and utina just yells shut up dude (laughs) (laughs) she's not having it she does not want him to wax poetic and to be honest i wouldn't either if i'm half dying trying to do the very last thing before i keel over I don't want some fucking moron waxing poetic to me and being condescending (laughs) when he's barely even tried to do the thing himself and he was at full health. (laughs) So finally, Utena is telling Anthe that she says, you still don't know. The only time I was really happy was when I was with you. And this is really the first time that we're getting a sense that Utena isn't happy as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like there's elements of that that you can see throughout, but most of that comes from her actions, right? Like her need, to, like there is a hole in her life that she needs to fill, and being the prince fills that hole. She is useful to someone. She is meaningful to somebody. And so it's like the kind of thing that you can only see out of the corner of your eye. You can't look directly at it. Like you can't look directly at Utena's pain and see it. Mm -hmm. So then a tear falls and it unlocks the gate the same way that it did for the dueling arena. 
Except fucking wild callback, yeah. by the way. <laughs> and so Akio is slurping his drink, <laughs> stops, and notices all the swords have halted. He looks back, the gate is gone, and there is Utna opening a coffin. And he freaks out. She is through the gate. And now we see why he could never do it. The revolution comes from doing something that he could never conceive of doing. And that is being free of this place. So he shouts at her to stop that she doesn't know what will happen, which no shit. That's (laughs) how revolutions work. You can light the match, but you don't know when the burning stops. Yeah. It's also why revolutions are really dangerous, and it's a dangerous thing to invoke carelessly in calling for change. Like, there are ways of creating change, and the thing about revolutions is you don't know who is going to end up dead or burned along the way. A lot of Mm -hmm. times, it is the people who you are trying to do it on behalf of. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, Wars can be lost as much as they can be won, and you don't know who's going to come out on top until you fight it. Um, And so here's Akio saying, don't do this. You don't know what will happen. And Utena's like, fuck that, dude. We're changing this bitch. (laughs) (laughs) I think she's just so desperate to reach Anthe, not just as her friend that she's been all this time, but that other level of connection that they have with one another that we saw glimpses of in the last couple of episodes. Like, that's the other reason why I'm like, yeah, Akio never could have done this because It was genuine emotion and a willingness to reach for the other person, showing up for them, being there for them. That kind of shit, I don't even know if Akio is capable of when he was his princely self. Because he was still kind of doing it as a performative gesture. So like, that's why the opening of the Rosegate is so beautiful because it's like it's been there this whole time you've known how to do this this whole time and this is why it could only be you reaching out to anthe in this way it could have never ever in a million years been akio and what i love about the way this scene is done is that it is fairy tale child utana talking yeah. to anthe yeah, that's that's what I mean too and like the earnestly calling out for one another. Like because she says, when she says don't be afraid of this world where we can finally meet. Yeah. Utana saw Anthe's heart in a way as a child and even though she didn't remember it was still striving toward her every day. That's some fucking beautiful gay shit right there. Oh, yeah. Like, I was just about to say, we can't ignore the gayness of this moment either. Nah. Right? Like, (laughs) when she says, don't be afraid of this world where we can meet, it's not just 
the world outside of your abuse, the world outside of Akio. It's also come out into this world where you can be who you are. Yeah. And be loved. Genuinely. Because like throughout this whole time, Akio has said like, even in this episode, he says some bullshit about like, oh, we love each other. Like, you and I love each other, Anthe. But that shit is not love. <laughs> it is not. It is purposefully inflicting pain upon one another. And uh, yeah, this this shit right here that Utena is doing and has been doing since she was a child is so fucking gay and beautiful. <laughs> and and then Utena finally says, at last we meet, which of all the times that the two of them encountered each other, now Utena and Anthe are finally seeing each other for who they are. Mm-hmm. And from that moment, the arena begins to collapse and Utena is reaching out to Anthe, telling her to take her hand. They touch so briefly and she's about to title drop someday together. Uh, and sadly, they are pulled apart by the collapsing of the arena. And Anthe goes like screaming to the ground. And we cut to Wakaba ringing the doorbell to the residence and concluding that Utena isn't around. We see the dueling arena completely obliterated. And then we get a f- like flash forward to the future by some days, months, weeks, years. Um, probably not too long because everyone's still kind of the same age. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we see these shots of the girls in the school gossiping again, which is an image we've seen before. Um, They're talking about the future now, um, asking, what are you going to do next? And one of them says, I'm, or what are you going to do after graduation? Well, I'm just going to go to the high school here. And like, that's not what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, One wants to be an actress. There's one, there's folks playing baseball, but notably Utena isn't in these scenes. We don't see Utena playing baseball. We don't see Utena playing basketball. This time, it's the school moving on without her. And one of the girls pokes fun of the other about having idolized Utena. And then they have this conversation about not really remembering who she was and having to be reminded, oh, yeah, she was the girl who wore a boy's uniform. And then the gossip train keeps going. Like she was hospitalized. No, her boyfriend betrayed her. No, she angered the chairman. And so she was sent away. All of which probably are true simultaneously. Yep. (laughs) I was going to say. (laughs) But the way that like gossip works is there's a true story and all the rest are just, you know, untrue fragments. Um, We see... Uh, Mickey helping Suabuki while Kozue looks on. Um, Nanami is making tea for Toga and Sionji. Notably, she's making tea in a uh, teapot that's shaped like a kappa, which is a core image of the show Sarazanmai. Um, kappas are river demons that try and steal your like 
greatest desire, um, like your your willpower, essentially your uh, animating essence, like the thing that drives you, your motivation. Um, that is so funny because my brain, for whatever reason, could not make sense of what I was looking at and was just like, yeah, that's an elephant. And I thought it was a callback <laughs> to the Nanami and Elephants episode. <laughs> no, it's a kappa. They're, it totally uh, is. Yeah, you can get it now. Yeah. <laughs> from Japanese folklore, they, the image kind of looks like a frog. But um, yeah. And then, then we see Wakaba has a new friend who does to her what she used to do to Utena. Which also, ouch. ow my heart how dare you replace utina like this ow (laughs) because she's even like what did you get your best friend for your birthday for her birthday ah (laughs) yeah oh also notably um mickey is doing some kind of training with suabuki where he's training him on how to use a stopwatch which also kind of points in the direction of like, maybe the cycle will continue, even though we get answers on that, like literally a couple of minutes later, but that freaked me out when I saw that. (laughs) (laughs) But no, Mickey just mentions that it's a a project or some kind of work that Suwabuki is going to help him with. And so then we do see Akio, right? Like we see him typing away, uh, writing new letters to the new duelists. Um, He believes that this cycle is about to continue. He says that, you know, we're moving on. Uh, He says, see, look, the school's already moved on. They're forgetting about her already. And he says that he's restarting the Rose duels. And Anthe interrupts him and says, you don't understand what's happened, do you? And she sets her glasses down and says, you can stay in this coffin and play Prince. Utena's not gone. She's just vanished from your world. And she's determined to go out and find her. So this gives me hope that Utena is actually alive out there somewhere. And that she has just moved on from the school. That that's what the metaphorical death gives. Is moving on from the school. Because... Why would Akio be so fucking scared of those swords if that's not what they were? If that's not the consequence that they dealt? It also reminds me of when the adult came back to the school and saw Mikage. It's just something in this interaction. Are you talking about Tokiko? Yes. Something in this interaction just reminds me of that. And I'm like, damn. At first, I thought she was dead. And now I really do believe Anthe when she says, no, she just doesn't exist in your world anymore. But she's out there. And I'm gonna go find her. And Choo Choo, bless his little heart, lays down his little tie and collar as well (laughs) packs his little bag says goodbye to his frog (laughs) yeah and leaves but 
I thought it was interesting that so much of the shots on the desk focused on him looking kind of downtrodden and sad. But then as soon as Anthea's like, yeah, no, we're good. See you never bye. He's like perfectly happy. I don't know. It was just, again, nothing in this show is accidental. So I'm just like, why did they focus the camera for so long on Choo Choo looking like that? Only for him to turn in his suit and tie. (laughs) (laughs) So we see Anthe crossing the threshold of the school. And the entire outro is her walking away from the school. And then we get a brief post-credit scene of a photo of Utna and Anthe and Akio, but Akio has been cropped out. Yeah. (laughs) And Choo Choo, he's there too. Yes. And we get the voiceover from Utana. Listen, if you ever have a problem, come to me first. I want us to be that kind of friends. And so we have a bit of an ambiguous ending with that. Like you had been talking about that already about like, is Utana alive? Where is Anthe going? (laughs) You know, (laughs) Um, but the real story here is that the answers to those questions don't actually matter at this point. What matters is that Anthe is free. Mm -hmm. That is the conclusion to, that is the answer to the major dramatic question of this show. You know, we thought all along the question was, will uh, Utna find the power to revolutionize the world? The answer is yes. The form of that is Anthe's freedom. Yep. The world is changed because one person is free of the abuse that they were suffering. And it's a true freedom because when Utana is reaching for Anthe, trying to pull her out of the coffin, Anthe still calls her Utanasama. But when she mentions her name to Akio, she just says Utana. And that's a hell of a change for her and revolution. She's completely dropped all of her Rose Bride mannerisms. The mask that she had to wear in the form of the glasses. She even lets her hair down when she leaves the school and wears it presumably how she always would have liked to. And the, again, the change in calling Utana just Utana, which is a symbol of closeness in and of itself, as well as the the Rose Bride visage totally falling away. So yeah, this is a happy ending, even if Utana's not physically there with her at this very moment. Because like you said, she's free. Let me tell you something. I have a real problem <laughs> with things ending. I did not have a problem with this one. <laughs> at all. Like, it's such a good conclusion. So we that can't... It's... Oh, sorry. No, no, no. Just that it's emotional and freeing and a little melancholy, but still mostly hopeful. And yeah, 
I seriously, I have such a problem with shows and series ending, and I, I too feel free in this. <laughs> so, speaking of endings, mm-hmm. we have to end this the same way as always. Uh huh. What is your prediction for next time? <sighs> in this case, what is your prediction for the movie? Yeah. Um. Well. Thought the movie was um, just going to be a simple retelling of the story that we just got, um, but like hashed down to just an hour or so. Um, but just from the one little offhand comment you made, I'm like, oh shit, this is going to go off the rails. <laughs> 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 so uh, my predictions are uh, way more shenanigans. Um, and also way more, um, way more allusions to, uh, death and rebirth. Okay. What would you say is the biggest of all of the shenanigans that are, are to come? What do you think that might be? There's going to be like a fucking massive elephant that just comes tromping through <laughs> Oh, you gotta go bigger than that. You gotta go bigger than that. It is bigger. Okay. So um an asteroid hits the earth and everyone dies. Not that big. <laughs> Between those two extremes, <laughs> there is going to be a shenanigan singular. <laughs> mm. Hmm. Okay. That is totally um, unhinged. <laughs> somebody eats Anthe's cooking and shit goes off the rails again. <laughs> yeah that's all i got oh um one last uh crackpot conspiracy theory excuse me one last tinfoil hat conspiracy theory that probably nobody in this fandom has ever thought up but my brain cooked it up in its tiny little neurons and i've got to put it out there um fucking utana reincarnated as (laughs) choo-choo I got to put it out there, man. You can't prove me wrong. (laughs) (laughs) So we do have an email. Okay. Uh, This person, Mako, has sent two. And I apologize. One of them was sent all the way back in September and we never got to it. Oh, shit. I think that might have just been like me clicking through and accidentally marking it red. Because... Mako is also saying the same thing that a prior one that we responded to said about the pun of koi uh, meaning both love and carp, and that in the dub it is uh, amore, which is love and a more eel. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the other thing they say is regarding Tenjokun in episode 35. So when Toga finally refers to her as Kun. Uh, Mako says, so take this with a grain of salt because I'm sort of a bad student, but I never read that scene as being gender affirming. I think you can, it works, but I always figured it had more to do with seeing Utina as an equal in skill or potential and respecting her in a very physical way. Oh. Uh, There is some good meat for gender discussion within that though. Like why is a masculine honorific required for respect? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it gives me a professional military or police vibe, something like the protagonists in Ghost in the Shell or Psychopaths being addressed by their bosses as Kuhn. Although I did a search through the Japanese subtitles for both of those shows and it doesn't show up in either. I did find it in two shows that I haven't watched. Uh, Soro no Oto for uh, Tank Mechanic, Noelle Kanagi, and Girlish Number for voice actress Chitose Karasuma. Um, anime production is a bit like a war zone, right? So sorry I didn't have any <laughs> solid examples of that. I swear I've heard Kuhn uh, used for women before, but I can't figure out which shows it was in, so I can't double check the context. Quick follow-up on this. Uh, watching Kimagure Orange Road from 1987, Madoka's family uh, friend slash boss calls her Madoka-kun. Um, she's a bit of a delinquent and gets into fistfights occasionally, but not really masculine in the slightest. So thank you for writing in on that, Mako. Um, Kimagure Orange Road is on my list. <laughs> As everyone knows, the list, you never reach the end of the list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so saying it's on my list is kind of meaningless but like it is it's there i just haven't gotten to it <laughs> <laughs> um yeah uh so thank you for pointing out that that other potential use of um that the masculine honorific coon and for referring us to a couple of other shows that are worth watching. Also, yes, Ghost in the Shell, definitely worth watching. It makes everybody's list. So, like, <laughs> I don't feel like I'm breaking any new ground by saying, yes, it's a good show. Go watch it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, if you're younger than a certain age, you probably don't remember the dark days of anime in the U.S., where if it wasn't <laughs> airing on Toonami or on Adult Swim. Like, we're talking before that even. So, yeah. like, uh, late 80s through, like, late 90s. If you were trying to watch anime back then, you had to either live in a big city that had a store that imported it, or you had to be in the IRC channels where people were sharing VHS copies, really, is what it was. Like, people had the the VHS copiers, and they would just make copies of it. Um, getting a hold of that stuff was hard. Ghost in the Shell broke through in America because it was one of the few localized films. And so it made everyone's list as a great classic. It's not that like anime was better back then, although I do <laughs> still... I do still have... like I will get up on a soapbox about hand-drawn animation versus... Uh, current digital animation but it's not that anime was better back then it's just that we only ever saw the good shit here yeah because all the average and normal stuff didn't get translated yeah. nobody was a big enough fan to make a fan translation nobody saw a return on investment in paying for a translation average stuff just didn't come over here back then now you've got simulcasts of like the dumbest shit that gets put together. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, of course, you can see some real whoppers of, like, trash anime and <laughs> conclude that, like, oh, anime was better back then. No, it was just extremely filtered. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't there... I feel like at some point during that time frame of the late 80s to the late 90s, there was also maybe some element of like you had to like 
pirate some kind of channels from your cable box or some shit to be able to watch anime. Maybe I'm um, confusing that with being able to watch the BBC. Yeah, that's probably a BBC thing because it was never broadcast here that way. Got it. Um, not until, like, like I said, not until you saw it. Uh, like sometimes, like one time, I think on MTV, and then um, there was the Sailor Moon broadcast in the in the mornings, like uh, eight in the morning. A and then, but like even that one only went up to I want to say like episode fifty something. Yeah, like, like it cut off in the middle of a major plot arc in Sailor Moon R. I think it was. Yeah, um, and like the rest of the episodes didn't come for years. <laughs> yeah, the only way to find out how that story ends is. If you were in the IRC channels where people were sharing VHS tapes, because uh, <laughs> like this was even before um, Napster and LimeWire oh, yeah. and like all the peer-to-peer sharing stuff, you had to get VHS tapes. Like that's how you did it back then. This <laughs> is before DVDs, or like at the very start of DVDs. Um, yeah, it was it was the dark ages. You had to be a true super fan to get your hands on stuff back then. Um, yep. Or you had to be in a big city that had someplace that imported it. Like that was the other alternative. Um, if you were in the Midwest, someone had to mail it to you. <laughs> it me. I grew up in the Midwest. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like Ghost in the Shell, Akira and Sailor Moon are why Americans got into anime in such a big way. Mm -hmm. Without those, it would have remained a niche sideline thing. Um, but those being broadcast widely, like you could <clears throat> buy Akira at like Media Play or Best Buy. Yeah. Uh, you could buy Ghost in the Shell at those places. You could find some other stuff at, at Media Play. Like, they actually had a pretty deep library. But even that is, like, getting into late 90s already. Um, if you were into it any earlier than that... And remember, like, those were movies from the 80s. Mm -hmm. Actually, I want to check my dates. I think Ghost in the Shell was 90s. Well, but I'm thinking of, like, yeah, one 90s. example... <laughs> <laughs> one example is Fist of the North Star. That's one that had yes. to be shared via VHS tapes. yes. Yes, it's another perfect example. Mm -hmm. And I know specifically because there's a person in my life that told me their story of growing up and their dad having these VHS tapes of Fist of the North Star and one other anime that I can't remember off the top of my head. But uh, yeah, watching those, <laughs> which blew my mind. And toward like the end of the 90s, you had Vampire Hunter D um mm -hmm. you had uh uh you had the early run of dragon ball and dragon ball z was trigon in there or was that later uh that was slightly later that was like okay. early 2000s okay um but yeah like outlaw star cowboy bebop those were starting mm -hmm. to come in in like the late late 90s early 2000s um and so this was like a hell of a tangent to just go down. <laughs> so thanks, Mako, for writing in. 
<laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this is where we just show off our age, really. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you're a Zoomer listening to this podcast, welcome. Hey, I am what's so up? Ha- I'm so happy <laughs> you do not have to deal with the dark ages of anime bullshit that we had to. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. Um, but I also cannot fully put into words how transformative it was to have Sailor Moon on every morning at eight in the morning. Yeah. It let people reveal to one another that they were anime nerds in real life. Like you could always do online, but that was the turning point of being able to have a conversation with somebody in real life about it because other people probably saw Sailor Moon now as opposed to the handful of people who knew the back channels to get it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Also, you don't have to worry about staying up until the fucking ass crack of dawn and or waking up at the ass crack of dawn to be able to watch anime. (laughs) Because Toonami ran real late. And real early, depending on your view of time. (laughs) (laughs) And for some of us, hey, man, our parents didn't let us stay up that late or, you know, fucking be up that early. So missed out on a lot. Now you can just go watch it on a streaming service at any time you want. Like, that's really fucking nice. (laughs) Oh, yeah. If you missed part two of a two-parter, it was gone. Yep, see ya. You're never seeing it again. It would be four months until the syndication rebroadcast loops back around to when that episode comes up. Yeah. But yeah, just like, now you can choose to stay up until 2, 3, 4, 5 a.m. and watch anime. Before, it was like, you either stay up and watch it, or you don't get to watch it at all. Maybe if you're lucky, you can save up enough money to, like, buy the show on DVD. But, like, you gotta have some cash (laughs) (laughs) to do that. Anyway, and there are still some shows that aren't on streaming services or that aren't locked behind, like, a giant paywall. Oh, yeah. Um, I had to sail the seven seas to get the copy of uh, (laughs) Moaru Penguin Drum that we're going to be watching next oh shit (laughs) like no joke chesney has it on a usb because there's no way to get it i have tried my hardest to pay real money for an actual physical copy of this show both times i ordered it and was then refunded because it was out of stock bruh And we're not talking about, like, small sums of money. We're talking about, like, the $90 import shit. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And, like, you can't get this show. Um, That has since changed. I think it's streaming now. But, like, a few years ago, it was just gone. If you didn't know that it existed, if you didn't watch it when it was broadcast on Crunchyroll back in, like, 2012, it was just gone. I'm going to like rehash this entire story at the beginning of our next uh, show when we're doing uh, Moaru Penguin Drum, because that is, as we announced last time, our next series that we're going to be watching. Um, But like, yeah, getting your hands on this is not 
at least wasn't easy for a very long time. I think there's a streaming service that has it now. I can't be certain. Yeah. I mean, and there are still like shows beyond just like these works that you I don't know what are- you're talking about, Chesney. Uh, <laughs> Kunihiko Ikuhara is the only person who has ever made anime. He's these are the, the only, only shows in existence. Yeah, these are the only shows in existence. Uh, the only director. Sorry. Uh, I hear literally no other names. I see nothing. Uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. But there are still other shows out there other than Ikuhara's that you cannot get. Like, this is not just uh, restricted to this particular studio or this particular director. Like, fucking get backers who is made by a major studio that made a shit ton of other stuff, including Cowboy Bebop, is locked behind one of the biggest paywalls I've ever seen in my fucking life. (laughs) Like, and that is one of those run-of-the-mill anime series that you were just talking about. Like, oh yeah, this is the stuff that like maybe wouldn't have made it over pre-Sailor Moon. But it is one very near and dear to me. And so I'm like, give me. (laughs) But long story short, yeah, it's just ridiculous still how even with streaming and localization that we have now, there are still things that fly under the radar and go undiscovered because of the way things are still set up. So anyway, on that note, next up, we will be watching the movie. As we've announced before, Carly is coming back to watch the movie with us. Whoop whoop. And after that, we will be starting recording for our Mawaru Penguin Drum viewing. There might be a little bit of a break in release schedule so that we can get uh, a little bit further along with watching Mawaru Penguin Drum and give ourselves a little bit of a buffer. But anyway, we will be. Uh, watching the movie for Revolutionary Girl Utena. We might uh, at some point in the future watch the musicals. Chances are that will probably be another time where we bring Carly back. Don't quote me on that. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) However, for now, we're going to wrap up this discussion of this episode, which surprises me how short our conversation was. But we covered a lot in the last episode. <laughs> like yeah. a lot of what we would have said here, we already said for part one of this episode. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are still like one or two questions that I have remaining, but I feel like we'll probably cover that in our discussion of the movie. You're going to have so many new questions. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> the movie is some truly unhinged shit. In the oh best way. <laughs> well, I want to hear what y'all have to say about us coming to the end of the show. So please do write into us at our Twitter account while Twitter is still a thing, um, <laughs> which is at Zetai Pod, And then also, of course, our email account, which is Absolute Destiny, a podcast at gmail.com. And I'm personally on Twitter at Life in Neon. And I'm still on there too at CarCutie. Uh, occasionally we both also stream at those names. So you can find and us there. 
we will be figuring out where you can find us next, whether that's Mastodon or Tumblr. We'll have something. We'll put the word out there where you can find us if Twitter actually goes down in flames. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> and we will see you next time. <laughs>